0: Father, this morning we come before you and we give thanks for the privilege to come together in freedom, to sing, to worship. And when we think back of the sing, the songs that we sang just now, about our blessings and also our trials, we realize that each one of us is here with different things on their mind. Things to be joyful about, things to be worried about, blessings and sufferings. We pray that you will speak to us through your word. And we pray that we will meet with Jesus this morning. We pray for the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we continue our uh, studies in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is also called John Mark. He is this um, servant, really, that helped Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip in the book of Acts. You read about this Mark, chapter 13. But he gave up. It was tough. Then he turned back, back to Jerusalem. It is great to know that with God we get a second chance because it was Mark who gave up initially, turned back, who was later granted the privilege to write this gospel, the gospel of Mark, with a special focus on Jesus as the servant. Mark chapter 10 verse... um, 45 is really a key verse in this gospel it says for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and Jesus enters the scene in chapter 1 we have seen that already and unlike the gospel of Matthew and Luke there's no nativity story no genealogy because he is a servant. Who is this servant? Well, Mark gives it away right in chapter one, verse one, gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. But it's not that he repeats that statement, that claim like every chapter. It's more that he just starts writing and he invites us, read it and see for yourself who is this man, who is this Jesus. And he writes very compact, just 16 chapters, and maybe you have noticed in the previous two sermons that there's a lot of speed, a lot of energy, a lot of action in this gospel. So the word immediately keeps occurring. In chapter 1 alone, 10 times, and immediately, 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 very Very fast, you see the perfect servant at work, healing, casting out demons, and soon his fame spreads everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee, chapter one, verse 28. But we also notice that Jesus was not looking for fame. He was not healing for the sake of healing. His priority really was to preach the gospel. For that is why I came, he says in 1, verse 38. But really, in no time, he is really quite popular, very popular. And chapter 1 closes with the words, and people were coming to him from every quarter. But did the people really realize who he was? And do we realize it? In John chapter 1, verse 11, we we read that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Why was that? Why did the people not receive him? Well, John 3, verse 20 gives the answer, I think. It says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed the main reason why people do not come to Jesus, even today, is not because he is not convincing. The main reason, I believe, is sin. Because coming to Jesus implies entering the light. And you can't hide your sins when you are in the light. And therefore right in chapter 2, still at the beginning of the book of Mark, right in chapter 2, people instead of coming to Him, to come in the light, they start finding fault with Jesus. They start to question Him. Now to question is, is fine, it's, it's good actually. And God can take that. No worries. But with what attitude are we asking questions? These people, they didn't want to learn something. They were asking questions with a spirit of criticism. Why does this man speak like that? Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 16. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 18. Why are they, the disciples, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 24. A lot of questions. Let's read the chapter. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. No one sews a piece of unshrinked cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch stares away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even the Sabbath. Quite a story. A lot of things happening. This this man in the beginning of the chapter had a tough life. He was paralyzed. And in those days, that almost certainly would mean that he was a poor man, a beggar maybe. But he had friends. That is to say, we always think they were his friends. The Bible actually doesn't say that. They were four men. But I think they qualify as friends, really, in what they do. They care for this man. They help him. They don't give up. And they are quite creative in finding a solution for their friend's problem. Just imagine a hole in the roof. Quite creative. That's what good friends do. They don't give up. They care for you. They look for ways to help you. The best thing that they did was they brought this man to Jesus. So who are your friends? And how many friends do you have? And are they here in JB or are they like 10,000 miles away? Are they Christians? Are they all in your home church? Are they unsafe people or both, both maybe? And I don't mean Facebook friends, I mean real friends. <laughs> I ask myself that question. Who are my friends? Some need 20 friends, some need two, or just one. But the need for friendship is universal, I believe. We do need at least one good friend, maybe more. There's this man, um, he passed away already, Dr. Howard Hendricks. By the way, he wrote an excellent book, Teaching to Change Lives. If you're in the Sunday School Ministry, pick up that book and read it. Very helpful. But this Howard Hendrick, he defines a close friend. A close friend. Of course, friends come in different grades. We have maybe a lot of friends, but only that three or two or one, that is really a close friend. And it takes time to develop a friendship like that. And this Howard Hendricks, he describes a close friend as follows. A close friend is someone who knows everything about you, yet totally accepts you. Will listen to your most heretical ideas without rejecting you. And knows how to criticize you in a way you will listen. And then he continues writing about himself, it took me 10 years before I let Jane, his wife before I let her become my best friend because I was scared to death to let her know what I was really like and what were my deep fears and anxieties if she ever finds out I thought she will reject me then it finally dawned on me she already knew (laughs) yet totally accepted me That freed me up. I hope you have a friend like that. And for those of us who are married, we need to work to maintain a deep level of friendship with our spouse and to grow into an even even deeper friendship. The other day I was telling Michelle that I'm so happy to have her. I'm so thankful for not being alone, especially away from home, in still a strange country. It's, It's so great to not be alone. Do you feel like that sometimes? I want to go home, longing for that secure place. But then you wonder, would I be really safe there? Safe as in really at peace inwardly, totally. Where do you find that peace? In your home country? In your home church? Or in this church? Among your friends? Your family? Or in the arms of your spouse? Well, there is peace to be found there, to a certain extent. In all these things, we find a certain degree of peace. And that's important. Marriage to have that spouse and to be that spouse. Or friendship, to have that friend, or to be that friend. That's important, and that's why I'm talking about it. And yet, even the best marriage and the deepest friendship is limited. It's finite. It will end one day. And it is fragile. Why? Because we are human. We are fallen. We need more, we need Jesus. And the good news is, Jesus was at home. Chapter two, verse one. I'm not sure whether this was his own house or whether he was staying with Peter or someone else, but it was in Capernaum and Jesus lived there. If it was his own house, I am quite convinced that he picked this house because it had the staircase at the side and a lousy roof. Imagine if he would have come to this world and live in a palace, this man would never be able to come to him. But he came as a baby in a manger so that shepherds could come and see him. And he came to live in Capernaum in a very simple house with a lousy roof so that this man could come to him. And he is always home. And the door is always open, even the roof is open. The message is, the invitation is, come, come to Jesus. And you say, oh, but I'm not sure whether I consider myself a Christian. No, well, that's all right. No worries. Come as you are. This man was brought to Jesus just as he was, paralyzed, laying on a mattress. The Greek word is krabatos. The word means "mat of a poor man, krabatos. Even the word sounds cheap already, doesn't it? And perhaps he thought that was his greatest problem, I'm paralyzed and I'm poor. But Jesus looks beyond that and addresses a problem that was greater than that, his sins. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, that is why we need Jesus. There is no place in this universe where we are really safe. Not even in the deepest friendship not even in the arms of your spouse. Because we are sinners, we are not safe. For sin comes with a price tag, death. And we know that one day we will die and after death comes judgment. The Bible is clear on that, Hebrews 9, 27. We have done things that we should not have done. We have not been doing things that we should have done. We have looked at things we should not have looked at. And we have taught things of which we are so glad that nobody can read our minds. Because we would be so embarrassed if it were projected on the screen. But here is a man who can not only see the faith of these four men, in verse 5, but he could also read the thoughts of those scribes. As clear, he perceived in his own spirit, he could read their thoughts as clear as his own thoughts. And he totally knows this paralytic man and every detail of his life. Here is the true friend, the best friend, the ultimate friend, because he knows everything about you, yet totally accepts you, son. Your sins are forgiven. How can he say that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what he say. Good point. It's true. Only God can forgive sins. So, who is this man? What is your conclusion? Who is Jesus really? And how can He forgive sins just like that? Does God forgive sins just like that? No, He doesn't. Sin comes with a price tag. And that price has to be paid. Again, Hebrews 9.27, the verse I mentioned just now. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, but then the verse continues. Thank God for that. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. You remember that key verse from Mark chapter 10, 45? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For many? How many? And does that include me? Well, there were many gathered together in that house. Chapter two, verse two. Too bad, the house is full. No way. Have faith. Open the roof. There is always more room. Come. Come. God will make a way. We sang this now. Son, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, a price, the full price for whoever comes. Whoever comes. This man's sin were forgiven because he was brought to the feet of Jesus. The only safe place in the universe today. Come. Well, you say, and thank God most of us can say that I came already. I know my sins are forgiven. I have trusted Christ for my salvation. Praise the Lord. But then I have two questions for you and for myself. Who else are you bringing to Jesus? To whom are you that friend? That's the first question. The second is, have you rolled up your mat? By what? Your kravatos. Your poor man's mat. What do you mean? Well you see this man was tied to his mat for years. All he could do was lay down on that cursed mat. Every day. But we know that Jesus not only forgave his sins. But he also healed him. He was no longer paralyzed. For the first time he was freed from that mat. And there's a lesson for us Christians. Yes, we know our sins are forgiven. We are going to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But we are not now experiencing the freedom in Christ that we could and should experience. Many of us have mats. And we are quite reluctant to let go of them. It could be a mat of fear. Fear of men, maybe or a mat of weakness, all the time giving in to sin, or a mat of defeat, always overcome by the circumstances of life, or a mat of worry, or a mat of loneliness, or a mat of failure, I'm, I'm just a failure. There's so many mats that you can think of. And I know we're all carrying something around in our lives. I'm not preaching a cheap and shallow, just roll up your mat kind of message. Our struggles can be serious and very real. And there are things in our lives that I would not compare to a mat that you roll up and put in the shelf. There are things that we have to carry through life of which we cannot get rid. Never see your marriage as a mat to roll up put away however difficult it is and i'm also not saying that because your work is difficult put it in a shelf and and walk away from it but there are things that we carry around in our lives and i want to challenge challenge you and myself to identify those things or perhaps that one single thing that is paralyzing us in our walk with the Lord. That mat that we are tied to where we shouldn't. Try to identify it and bring it in the light of the Word of God. Try to find a verse in the Bible that actually identifies and addresses that mat and what to do with it. And then talk about it with friends that you trust. Or with, your, or with your brothers or sisters in the church, because after all, these four men. Let me change that. Would you mind to change it? try to find the verse that identifies this, this mat that you are tied to and then share it with your brothers and sisters because these four men in, in, in this chapter, we always think they were friends, but maybe they were his own brothers and we are here as a church and we can share the things that we struggle with. And then, and that's the most important thing, bring it all to Jesus. These four men took up their friend with his mat, made a hole in the roof, and brought it to Jesus. Because he wants us to be free. Galatians 5 verse one says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Bring it to him. He is that friend that knows everything about you and yet totally accepts you. And he also knew Levi. That's the second passage, the tax collector. Maybe Levi was dishonest, we don't know. Many of his colleagues were. But we, we know he was working for the Romans. That was like bad enough already. And he had probably no friends, except of his own sort, people who didn't care, and sinners. I mean, people that were called sinners by others, prostitutes maybe, and that sort of people. And Jesus passed by his tax booth. Verse 14. Levi was not looking for Jesus. He was just counting his money, maybe. Is it working? No. I I can use the mic. Let me... Technology. Thanks. Thank. (coughs) Sorry about that. So Levi, counting his money, and Jesus looked for him. He was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus looked for him. Verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Which is Matthew by the way, who wrote the other gospel. And he said, follow me. Because he not only wants to forgive our sins and free us from our whatever met that we are tied to, but he has a purpose. Follow me. Just imagine, Levi. He was sitting there behind his desk or whatever. And there's that man. And he looks at Levi. Follow me. And Mark doesn't describe a lot of things or what was going on in his mind or how long it took. All we read is that he stood up and followed Jesus. What happened? What happened? He was doing his own daily thing, as I said, maybe counting his money. Follow me. He looked into the purest pair of eyes that you can think of. Loving. I don't know what he saw. I am looking forward to the day that I see the eyes of Jesus. Levi saw the eyes of Jesus and he decided in that second or ten seconds I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He stood up. He followed Jesus. Surrendered his life into the life in the hands of that friend and he knew I can trust him on that. He did it, he followed. So where are we going now? Now that Jesus is in the lead. Where are we going? Read the next verse. And as he reclined at the table in his house. It is as if Jesus is saying, yes Levi, from today onward, I am in the lead but we go to your house because I am so interested in you, your life, your friends. I want to be with you." He followed Jesus back to his own house and they had a meal, a banquet. They had a good time together with his friends and with sinners, prostitutes, women, who sold their body for money to lustful men, but they felt safe with Jesus because he is pure. Jesus, friend of sinners, there is no safe place in the universe except with Jesus. But the scribes complain again. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus gives this wonderful answer in verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here is a medical doctor and friend who not only gives you an excellent diagnosis of your disease, but who is also able to completely heal you of the killing cancer of sin. And he paid for it himself. That's an amazing thing. He paid for it himself. In this chapter he was about to do that. So are you well or are you sick? Are you righteous? or are you a sinner or maybe you say i'm not completely righteous maybe i could do better but i told myself i'm going to to be more intentional about coming to church and i'm going to read my bible like really every day yeah maybe you also should start fasting verse 18 and stop cooking food on sunday verse 23. To become what? More righteous? Or a Pharisee? Jesus didn't tell Levi, come here, young man, your life needs some patching up. Yeah, I have something new for you. Let me sew this brand new piece of cloth over the holes in your old garment, your old life. Verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the pet tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. We read already in chapter 1 verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Levi did make this turn, this about face, when he met the king, the friend of sinners. And we also, we who are in Christ, are a new creation. No touching up or patching up, no legalism, no trying to improve ourselves a new creation, new wine in new wineskins. That is the joy and the power of the new life in Christ. So much on Mark chapter 2, a chapter in which Jesus is questioned by fault-finding people, a chapter in which we see Jesus as the ultimate friend who forgives sins and frees from bondage and challenges us to follow him and to enjoy his friendship together with others and tomorrow is Monday and by the time it's Wednesday you might have forgotten the sermon in fact I might have forgotten my own sermon and maybe you wake up wishing it were evening so you could sleep and forget There is a song that is really my favorite and I listen to it often and I wish we could sing it together but it is in Dutch, but I translated it for you and if you don't mind we're going to listen to it. we pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we feel we meet him in this chapter. Although we have not seen him, we know him. And we love you, Jesus. We look forward to meeting you face to face. Father there are many things in our lives, maybe things we should get rid of, maybe things you want us to carry but also to bring it to you. We thank you that there is always a way, there is always that staircase by the side of the house you can always even make a hole in the roof. There is always room for us. And you can be sure of your fullest attention, your infinite love and your wisdom for our lives. Help us to trust you. Not only for our salvation, but also for every detail of our lives.